going to be talking about the future of rural electric cooperatives with Mountain Association's Chris Woolery on today's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Renew Missouri Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from my secret undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, joining us from his secret undisclosed location in Kansas City is on the boards, as always, our producer, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip. Hey, happy to be here. I won't tell you where I am, but I'm making my way out to Columbia, slowly oh, but surely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we might as well get this out of the way because it is relevant to the conversation we're having today on Renew Gurus. Philip is leaving uh, the Kansas City office of Renew Missouri. He has been there since November of 2018, but he will be remaining uh, with Renew Missouri. So he is going to be coming back to uh, Columbia. Uh, and I think the position that we have settled on is director of programs. Uh, and that will include all things involving pretty much all our non-IOU work. So if you're talking about a municipality or a co-op, Philip will be working on that. Is that right, Philip? Have I got that right? You nailed it. That's oh. the plan. I think I wrote that description, so I'm glad I nailed it. <laughs> well, as for now, yeah, Philip is in Kansas City. He'll be coming to Columbia. We'll have a new uh, Kansas City director, which we will be announcing that very soon. Uh, but let's get let's let's get down to brass tacks, folks. Uh, our guest today um, is a guy that we have been working with um, in a couple of different capacities for the past 13, 14 months now. Um, you know, you've heard Philip and I on here talking about the work we've been doing with the Rural Power Coalition, uh, which has been a group of uh, kind of like-minded organizations like us and other parts of, this, of the country on this, um, on this effort we're trying to do uh, involving um, rural electric cooperatives, coal plants, clean energy. Um, and we wanted to kind of expand on that, uh, on, on kind of introducing our audience to the other people that are working in that uh, sphere. And we have Chris Woolry, uh, the Residential Energy Coordinator for Mountain Association out of Kentucky. Now, where are you specifically out of Kentucky, Chris? I live in Lexington in Central Kentucky. Lexington. So I'm coming to you from my secret basement, undisclosed location. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, Chris, I should say hello, Chris. Welcome to the Renew Gurus. Welcome to the podcast. I kind of just started jumping in, starting asking a bunch of personal questions about where you live. You know, are you a known associate with any communists, anything like that? Um, but yeah, Chris, uh, Chris. Um, in addition to that work with Mountain Association also works with us and we work with him on this effort with, uh, this, uh, with this work with the Rural Electric Cooperatives. Um, so Chris, kind of real, uh, kind of just to get an introduction to you and your group, I mean, Mountain Association, um, I mean, what do they what do they work on specifically? Do you work on renewable energy and energy efficiency issues in Kentucky? What is your what is that group's role? Sure, the Mountain Association is actually um, a CDFI, a Community Development Financial Institution. Um, I like to call it a bank with a mission, and um, we have a, you know a lot of programmatic work, <clears throat> but we're small business administration lenders. We provide support services and other technical assistance to entrepreneurs and businesses across Eastern Kentucky. The energy team, um, we do advocacy work, we intervene in rate cases, we consult on residential and commercial energy efficiency, and we run a pay, 
we help administer a pay-as-you-say program called House yeah. uh, with rural electric co-op partners across Eastern Kentucky as well. So um, I'll read the blurb that we have on our What We Do uh, page for the Mountain Association. It says, we invest in people and places in Eastern Kentucky to advance a just transition to a new economy that's more diverse, equitable, sustainable, and resilient. And so clean energy and co-op reform and energy democracy fits in with that. Wow. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think that was the first time I had heard of you when I first started in this job was learning about the work being done with the on-bill finance tariff in Kentucky and that you were kind of uh, really, you know, kind of the person behind a lot of that work and working on that. Um, and, you know, as you know, we've been doing a lot of that work here in Missouri too. Um, I mean, I, before we kind of get into the co-op stuff, has that been, since that's of interest to a lot of our listeners, has that been successful for you all in Eastern Kentucky? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we were um, actually on the bleeding edge when it comes to inclusive financing and, and the lumps we took uh, helped others like Roanoke and, and, and um, Wachita to be on the leading edge. We made a lot of dumb mistakes. I was behind most of them, but we were able to over time improve and learn and prove, uh, prove out a concept that you can invest in, in almost any home and create a package of improvements that will quite literally pay for itself over time if you do it well, even generate a positive cash flow after uh, paying the, um, the finance payment. And so you can do it with inclusive financing that is not based on credit, um, that's not based on, <clears throat> on wealth, and you can invest even in low wealth communities in a way that affects and impacts the entire community with uh, little impacts on rates. And in fact, like in our case, you know, our study showed um, an impact on rates that was negligible within mm. the market. But in Wachita, Arkansas, they were actually, it actually led to a rate decrease. Yeah. Yeah, we've had Mark Casey on the program and he has talked about that. And I think, uh, you know, we, we certainly in here in Missouri with the, with the success we've had has stood on the shoulders of the work that's been done in Kentucky, in Arkansas, in Virginia, proving in my opinion, that a lot of these big accomplishments we can do in clean energy can be done in places that are uh, not exactly what we'd call um, liberal. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not. I'm just. I'm not going to speak for Kentucky, <laughs> but I think looking on the outside, you're. You're. You might even be a little more uh, progressive than we are, based on the people that you have running the state. Um, I won't, we won't, we're a 501c3, we won't get any of that. Uh, but, okay, so, but we, and, and so you work on the pays issue, you work on all those things you do for Mountain Association, but then in addition to all of that, you've been working on this uh, concept that uh, we have, uh, that this, uh, it's, we're, we've called it retire and reinvest. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, and I mean, I think it's always surprising to me. I was just on a, ra I did a radio spot on a talk radio show this morning People are always surprised by um, the mechanisms that go into coal plants and like how those are financed. And I mean, so kind of talk about the original, like, let's kind of talk about the problem that we're trying to solve at first. I mean, so we've got rural electric cooperatives all over Kentucky, all over Missouri. They produce power. They produce a lot of power using coal. 
Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of issue with that. But what's the issue we're trying to tackle here, Chris? Well, the issue that we're trying to tackle, well, we came in because we wanted to speak to the fact that rural electric cooperatives had a lot of opportunity to impact the COVID crisis and the economic crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, we came up with our platform as a response, right, to the crises we were facing and what the rural electric co-ops could do to help alleviate it and help impact their rural communities. And so, you know, the biggest part of it was the biggest plank of that platform was a proposal for um, federally insured hardship loans for rural utilities through an existing mechanism through the rural utility service, but with new mechanisms and, and conditions for forgiveness for investments that are, are consistent with the national interest. And when you tie that in to the fact that um, the Biden administration also in the national interest is trying to create a new clean energy um, standard, that would effectively mean that rural communities uh, might have their energy sources made illegal and have to, can, to make a transition that others have already made. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, have to pay for that transition on top of the infrastructure that they're already paying for. And so uh, in Eastern Kentucky, rural Kentuckians are paying a debt service of $29 a month per electric meter. And wow. um, $5,560 a day for their existing infrastructure. How wow. can they possibly make the investments, needed investments, um, to transition to clean energy under a clean energy standard without robust, robust investment on the part of the federal government, right. which created those rural electric co-ops in the first place? Right. Yeah, I, I think because like because okay, so it's important, especially for our Missouri listeners, to understand that you know in Missouri, I'm not sure how this works in Kentucky entirely. With the co-ops, they are not regulated by the Public Service Commission here in Missouri. Are they regulated? In, they're not. Are they? They're not regulated in Kentucky, are they? They sure are in Kentucky. Oh, are. under the pur the purview of the Public Service Commission. Right, but they still, in addition to kind of having their rates set in Kentucky, in Missouri, they don't set their rates at all. The Public Service Commission doesn't. So, you know, the incentives and how they are able to finance the generation of power, the transmission of power, the distribution of power is going to be different than like, let's say, an investor-owned utility. And so they do have a reliance. They have, a, they have more of a reliance on kind of, um, I guess, would, I would say non-private capital services uh, to build these things, to build their, to build their plants. That's and that's right. safe to say... Yeah, uh, most of their investments are financed through debt instruments um, through the federal government uh, and the utility service, which is a part of the USDA. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, this is money that is coming from the federal government. In, I mean, in theory, coming from taxpayers. Uh, I know that people in government don't ever like to call it taxpayer money. They want to call it appropriations. So it's appropriated from the feds. Um, and I mean, look, I mean, in, in, in you and I, one of the, the one of the things our group tries to emphasize a lot is, you know, that's a good I mean, you know, you know, the federal government and taxpayers as a whole investing into rural electricity is a good value because, look, when this all came about in the 1930s with the New Deal, a lot of private utilities like Ameren 
like Kentucky Power Company, well, maybe not Kentucky Power Company because they're like in a rural part of Kentucky, but like, let's say um, Louisville Gas and Energy weren't going out into rural parts of their state because it wasn't cost effective for them to do so. Too many customers, too far spread out, too, too many miles between meters, as they say. So there had to be something done. So the, the federal government kind of creates this incentive to do it through Congress. Um, and it's, it did, it modernized rural America. So it's, it's good that we did that. But I think what we are talking about here, what you and I and our, the rest of our group is talking about is kind of like, uh, you know, a new envisioning for these co-ops. Yeah, it really is a new opportunity to um, finance a fund, to fund economic development and modernization in rural America, just like we did the first time. But, you know, we have to, we have to acknowledge that the original Green New Deal left a lot of people and communities behind. And um, what, no matter what we call the, the next wave of funding and the next build out of clean, of energy infrastructure in rural America, whether you call it the Thrive Agenda, the Green New Deal, or retire and reinvest, it has to be equitable. It has to include everyone and provide opportunity, right, that is desperately needed in communities like Eastern Kentucky. You know, when we talk about just transition at Mountain Association, I feel like, hey, they're talking about me, right? Um, I used to be an Energy Star residential home builder in Central Kentucky. Oh, when the market energy, when the housing market crashed across the country, folks like me lost their homes and businesses. Uh, you know, every single um, primary contractor that I had went bankrupt alongside me. Wow, lost our homes, and and I was able to right, I was able to leverage the skill set that I have to put it in to uh, a little bit of new learning through a small investment on the part of the state in me, they put $1,500 on the table and I put $300 on the table and went and got BPI certified, Building Performance Institute certified. I was able to leverage that old skill set and a week long certification into this job, which is very meaningful. It pays pretty well. And I get to help people every, you know, across Eastern Kentucky. And that's, the kind of just transition we need for communities that are being left behind um, because we're transitioning away from coal. And folks in Eastern Kentucky have an opportunity to enter a clean energy economy. And we've helped people do that at Mountain Association. Mm. But need a lot more help. We need to, to scale that up exponentially. And that's where the federal government can come in. Mm. So if we could fund this transition, and replace clean energy with site-specific, I'm sorry, replace fossil fuel energy mm. with site-specific investments in efficiency in our homes and businesses and create jobs in our communities, we would see a transformation and lifestyle changes in our homes and outside of them. And we would bring resiliency home along with side that. Yeah, um, I you know I didn't actually know that uh, uh, that story about you. That's really great. Um, here I am, just some dopey lawyer. <laughs> I don't have a good story like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so because the, the idea is that we would 
we would add, you know, we would, th this debt would be forgiven, but it would be in exchange for, they'd have to shut these coal plants down. Yep. So let's talk about that part for a second, because, you know, when I mention this, my goodness, I can't imagine uh, the response you might get in Kentucky to that idea of shutting down coal plants. But people say like, well, look, those, uh, those plants, okay, yeah, they're dirty power and everything, but they employ a lot of people. There's a lot of people in you know, areas of the state where there aren't a lot of good paying jobs that work there. What's gonna happen to them? Well, what we would like to see is they get uh, retraining. Mm -hmm. They get to enter um, the fastest growing job market in America, and that's clean energy. Yeah, yeah. So it won't be it won't be a panacea for everyone. You know, not every coal industry worker can make a seamless transition. Right. Uh, but we'll we you know we need to support the communities. The transition is happening, right? The coal industry jobs are already being lost. And yeah. so we can either sit idly by and watch it and, 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 and say, woe is us, or we can actually say, what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to replace those jobs? You know, and my job, when I was doing clean energy work, um, when I was the installer, it wasn't, I kind of felt like a coal miner, right? I'm in dark, wet, nasty crawl spaces. Yeah. And cramped spaces. I'm having to deal with um, um, critters and <laughs> what's underneath there, snakes and spiders. Ew. You know, coal industry workers are, are well equipped to step into this work, even if they might not all do it. And, right. and that is just part of the answer. But, you know, they're looking for answers too. Um, mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a blockade in Eastern Kentucky recently I don't know if y'all saw it on the national news in which a coal company was going bankrupt, but they were still sending out coal and they weren't paying their workers. And the workers blocked the coal train from advancing, from leaving uh, because they hadn't get pay, gotten paid for, and they had mined that coal, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when a reporter came to Kentucky and asked those folks, what do you think about just transition? They said, hey, I've never heard of it. What does that mean? And, but one of the guys said, hey, tell us what else we can do Put your money where your mouth is. Give us a job with meaning, and then we'll move. Yeah, we'll move with you. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, because what? Because we're not saying like, oh, shut down coal plants. I mean, we have like the, the group that we're working with, and I should point out uh, if I haven't done this already with some of these other, we are working with um, uh, groups in Kentucky. We are working in groups with, in Minnesota, Georgia. Uh, the, you know, kind of out West with the Dakotas and, and Montana, um, you know, like areas that, you know, have got a lot of rural population and got a lot of co-ops, got a lot of debt in their coal plants. Uh, so we're, we've talked about, we've kind of had a list of things that we would have them. And also important to point out, this is all voluntary. The co-ops don't have to do this. Right. It's like, this is not something we're saying like, well, this is mandatory. This is the federal government saying you got to do this, but this is something that's going to be an option for them. Even though I think there's some confusion on that. But um, what are some of the things that uh, we have outlined as far as what, uh, if they took this deal, if they took this deal, they would have to invest that this money into? Sure. Well, the first thing they would likely want to do 
is in reinvesting capacity, right? If you're shutting right. and closing down megawatts, you might have to replace them. Now, that's not always going to be the case, right? And in, in, in Eastern Kentucky, EKPC is a member of the PJM network, and they have a lot of excess capacity. So EKPC wouldn't necessarily say we need to replace this coal capacity, generation capacity with clean energy, but many co-ops would want to do that. And it seems like co-ops like to own the generation, right? right. Some, some type of, um, you know, sense of security. And that makes sense. So they could reinvest in clean energy capacity. They could reinvest in demand side management or site specific investments like pay as you save investments, which would reduce the need for new capacity. Um, they could invest in resiliency and electric vehicle uh, rollout and broadband. And in yeah. fact, through the, um, the draft legislation that, that y'all have helped bring, in to, bring to life, they would be required Co-ops will be required if they take this offer to invest in debt forgiveness for their members. Right. Um, that's another option. Um, probably have left out a couple. Um, well, yeah, for one other one or a few others. Oh, there. Philip. Uh, <laughs> energy storage can be included too, as long as it'll save member owners money. That would qualify. Um, I think EVs and Various electrification efforts could also qualify and, and fall into that bucket, but that would also have a utility savings requirement piece to it. And I mean, one thing too, in talking about uh, how bill forgiveness could be a piece of this, you know, I don't want this to sound unreasonable, but we didn't, you know, just wake up one day and say, hey, we need $100 billion for this. Uh, the National Co-op Association and RECA asked for a big bailout first. And they wanted that money to go towards LIHEAP, which we've covered in the past on Renewed Gurus. And our mantra on that is, you know, it's a, it's a Band-Aid and you're not fixing the underlying issue as opposed to doing something like weatherizing it or investing in new generation or, you know, having a PACE program that you could get involved in. Uh, so it's really, you know, looking at what they had proposed instead of us kicking the can down the road, we thought, how about we use this money and use our tax dollars a little more efficiently? Uh, yeah, I think that's right, Philip. I would say for my low our low income advocate friends is that we don't see LIHEAP as a Band-Aid as a bad thing. <laughs> we still think it's good. We still think we, we still need it. We just think that there are uh, more um, encompassing things we can do. Well, yeah, and especially when uh, the advocate for that is the utility and they want that so their customers can pay their bills that they're not able to afford. And they're not able to afford it because it's not a uh, healthy situation for many stakeholders in the process. So uh, that's really where our motivation is coming from. Instead of just continuing to do what makes them money, how about we have something that's profitable for the co-ops, but also helps their member owners a little more uh, effectively. That's right. Um, we mentioned in RECA, I think that might be a good segue here. Um, you know, us with our alphabet soup, us with all of our little, uh, it's not an acronym because it doesn't spell anything. I had to learn that the other day, Chris, did you know that it's not an acronym unless it spells another word? Did you know this? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what they call it. I guess it's just an, <laughs> I guess it's just, you know, what, I don't know what you call it. It's not an acronym. INRECA is uh, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. 
they, I guess that is their kind of lobbying wing in DC. Is that, is that safe to say? Am I, am I, am I being unkind? They might do other things. I don't know. It's a trade association. Yeah. You know, they do a lot of things, but lobbying in DC is one of their major yeah. efforts. Yeah. So we have, and, and this group, our group, uh, have, have been in pretty routine contact with them. Um, we've, we've to some varying levels of success. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, I think Philip mentioned this, that this number, this hundred billion dollar number, which by the way, I don't know if I, I mean, I, we've been talking about billions of dollars. Uh, I think that's the first time we've mentioned the specific proposal is a hundred billion, which, you know, if you mention that to people, they're like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but then, you know, like my argument always that is, well, look, I mean, it's, uh, you know, energy, takes a lot of money. We put more money into utility policy than we put into tax policy in this country. More people pay utility bills than they pay taxes. Um, you know, and while this started out as a, as a COVID relief, I, I think, you know, when, when you and I and everybody else in our group started working back in June of 2020, we had envisioned this as being part of like a COVID relief package, but then that didn't happen. But now it's going to be part of the infrastructure. Uh, I think that's where we're kind of angling right now, among other things. I mean, so, and, uh, you know, you hear people say like, oh, well, how is energy infrastructure? So I'd like to pass that to you. How do you answer that question when people say that energy is not infrastructure? <laughs> well, energy is everything. I mean, we are embodied energy. And <clears throat> um, I don't even know where to go with that, James. I mean, it's like a, it's like a, a lob. And I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to hit it out of the park. <laughs> I was trying to help you. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but, you know, the person that hired me at Mountain Association, he is now um, a USDA administration, Biden administration official, works at the USDA. And he used to say, hey, there's no such thing as a silver bullet. But... Um, when it comes to clean energy, that is the closest thing to a silver bullet that we have for some of the problems that we are facing. And, and when you think about um, doing it the right way through things like pay as you save, um, well, really what it is is a bunch of silver BBs that can really get at some of the most intersectional and, and frustrating and chronic problems that we are facing as Americans. I mean, housing, is infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Businesses are infrastructure. The reason that we do energy work as, as, uh, as, a, as a small business administration technical assistance provider is because anytime you help a business person lower their bottom line, you're creating better chance for success and potentially a new job. Mm-hmm. When we helped the Country Music Hall of Fame lower their, their lighting bill significantly, they literally put that money into hiring someone. Yeah. So that kind of thing happens all the time. And so energy is absolutely infrastructure. And if we make the, the right investments in the right way, we can create transformation in terms of economic development, respiratory health, mm-hmm. equity, any number of things. For instance, you just take a look at um, what we're trying to do to help folks who are struggling with their energy bills now. 
you just said, hey, Laheep's a Band-Aid. Band-Aids are absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Who's going to provide some stitches, right? We need to come in and, and actually fix the problem. And Laheep has a small budget for doing just that. All right. But if we can quit, if we can get everybody some stitches, then we can get rid of all those Band-Aids. And, and that's the, the most effective way to proceed. And so, you know, just to give you an example, um, we have invested two and a quarter million dollars, two and a half million dollars or so in uh, site-specific investments that literally pay for themselves across Eastern Kentucky. We have not lost a single penny on any of those investments. We put people to work through those investments. And the Mountain Association has also invested to date nearly two and a half million dollars in solar for uh, enterprises across and local governments nonprofits across Eastern Kentucky. We have not lost a single penny on any of those investments. And right. so we're creating net cash flows, we're creating economic development, we're creating quality of life improvements. And if that's not infrastructure, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, I, when I hear people say that, I'm like, well, I, when I think of infrastructure, I think of roads, bridges, and grids. And, you know, grids are, we are facing a lot of issues uh, with our grid infrastructure here in this country. It's old. It is not adapting to population shifts the way it needs to. And it's also susceptible to a lot of other outside threats, weather, cybersecurity, and, you know, and to me, I, I think, you know, by investing in these clean energy efforts, these kind of efforts that kind of centralize where your power comes from, because I think that's ultimately like a lot of what we're talking about in our uh, coalition is, you know, localizing where this power comes from, minimizing the power that you have to use, uh, you know, with the EV charging um infrastructure. I mean, that absolutely is infrastructure. We're going to be seeing so many electric vehicles on the road soon. And we're not really, I mean, I can certainly say in Missouri, we are not uh, yet prepared for it. I know the utility companies are putting a lot of money into EV charging stations here. Uh, I don't know if that's the case in Kentucky or not. Um, but um, yeah, it, it is. I mean, these are things that we've got to be thinking about. And I think if we have this massive infrastructure bill that's in front of us right now, uh, this is the time. When else are we going to get to do this, right? <laughs> it sure is. And this, this infrastructure is sorely and desperately needed in a time of climate crisis and looming disaster, right? I mean, just in the last year, we've had 100-year floods, quote unquote, 100-year <laughs> flood events across Eastern Kentucky in multiple places. And climate change, climate crisis is already here in our places. Yeah. And I sit here and I hear the news about um, the ocean on fire and uh, vinyl siding melting off of houses and electric infrastructure melting. And I think about what we could be doing and are not. It really is frustrating. It really is. But to your point, <clears throat> It, it is really infrastructure. And um, that's why we're working together to bring the federal government to bear because these, it's like Bernie Sanders says, my, I keep hearing that this is too expensive. Compared to what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The cost of inaction are tremendously more expensive mm -hmm. than the, the right action. 
Yeah, I keep thinking about like, you know, several years ago when that bridge collapsed in Minneapolis. And you think to yourself, like, how, I mean, that's just an example of like, this. Um, I think you mentioned Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders kind of said they had reached some sort of agreement last night involving a $3.5 trillion, which was, a, which was less than what he was proposing. And you hear that T word, trillion. Yeah, I don't even like that. My poor brain can't even process that kind of number. But at the same time, I look all across this country. I look at all the roads. I look at all the bridges. I look at the grid. It's a lot of money. <laughs> There's a lot of commerce that goes over that. You've got it in Kentucky. You've got interstates there. Um, they got to get to. They got to get to Lexington somehow. They got to get to Columbia somehow in the middle of the states. And I mean, what's the cost of that? I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and you, you know, you are looking at the fact that that infrastructure is going to start getting worn down more because of extreme weather. And it is, I mean, you know, you're talking about floods in, in Kentucky. We've had the same problem in Missouri. We got rain nonstop here. You go, um, you you go west of here, and it's just hot and dry, and there's no, and there's and there's no relief there. And one thing that I think is interesting when I look at, you know, when I was younger, we had this was kind of considered Tornado Alley in Missouri and Oklahoma and Kansas. Well, now all I read about are tornadoes that hit Alabama and Georgia <laughs> and Mississippi. Like that has been a significant shift as well. It's hard to deny. It really is. And so that's why when we lower the amount of energy that somebody needs in their home, that is grid resilience. When we make investments in distributed renewables, that's grid resilience and in fact offsets other upgrades that would be needed if we didn't make those investments in those distributed renewables. People don't, most people don't understand the physics and the engineering of electricity in general. Uh, folks are not aware that um, by the time that electron gets to your house, um, shoot, we've lost 30 to 40% of the electrons that were generated. Yeah. Centralized generation. So distributed renewables and distributed efficiency actually reduces the future investments we have to make in infrastructure. It provides resiliency um, and it allows us to move step by small step towards uh, microgrids, localized storage, mm -hmm. sharing of energy across networks like an internet, yep. and finally, the resiliency, the climate resiliency that we need. We need islandable microgrids that can work together with the full grid or that can be shut off and work independently. And if we don't make investments in distributed efficiency and distributed renewables, even those investments in microgrids become more expensive. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really, that's a really good point. I think, you know, um, I'm really glad I never had to explain the physics of electricity in my job because I would fail that pretty badly, but that's true. I mean, we are, when you, I mean, like I, uh, I was just reading the New York times had a, a piece about, you know, a choice we have to make about whether we need to, you know, put more money into transmission lines or into solar panels. And I don't necessarily know if that's like the, 
the entire choice we need to be making, but I think that's close. I think the more question is, do you want to go bigger or do you want to go local? And um, to me, I think what solar offers, the energy efficiency offers, the distributive energy resources that you're talking about offers is a more localized, more decentralized uh, process, which I think has a lot of advantages to it, um, which I think has a lot of appeal. Um, I just was handed a note from our producer. Uh, it, it, Philip notes, he's better at math than I am. He got a finance degree uh, that the hundred billion <laughs> that is uh, that was being sought in our uh, proposal is only 2.85% of the 3.5 trillion dollar package. A bargain, one might say. <laughs> that, that gets a lot of bang for your buck. I just want to say, well, we're not being unreasonable in our request. No. And I mean, again, Chris, I mean, I think that we've had, I don't think this is a secret. I mean, if I do, we'll, we'll edit it out. We can't edit it out. Uh, the, the co-ops are, they've got their own proposal that's in the billions um, that they're, they're, they're kind of talking to lawmakers about. Um, it includes some things we don't like um, collectively. <laughs> But this is, but they're talking about, they're talking about a big package as well. Yeah, we, we are hearing that they are looking at a number that is, they're asking now is much bigger than 10 billion. Mm -hmm. And it does include forgivable uh, conditions for forgiveness. And I think it's encouraging, right, that the, that we, that we perceive the industry, the co-op association mm -hmm. in our RCA to be moving in a direction that is similar to ours. Yeah. We're not certain that that's the case, but it does make sense, right? Because it's, you know, I don't wanna be unfair to the NRECA, but it seems like their previous position was, how could we possibly do this? You can't possibly make us. And really that position is not unre is as unreasonable as it seems, right? Right. You go back to $2.17 billion in debt just for East Kentucky Power Cooperative, which is only one of the two out of the five, one, we have two of the five largest, most fossil dependent GNTs in the country, Big wow. River being the other. And so, you know, their position of, we can't possibly do this, how could you possibly make us, is not that unreasonable. But the, answer, the solution, right, is to make the investments on their behalf because it literally pays for itself. These are the safest investments that you can make. Imagine putting a million or a billion dollars into site-specific energy investments through pay-as-you-save. That money doesn't just go out to contractors and into upgrades and create savings. It also comes back into the kit, to the kitty. The mm -hmm. money is repaid over time even though it's generating a net cash flow for the participant of a pay-as-you-say program, the money's also coming back to repay those investments. So what you've created then is a perpetual economic development machine, a revolving loan fund that, can, that could literally reinvest in your home after the, sec, after the first investment was paid off because you know we're gonna have better equipment more efficient appliances and better heating and air systems 12 years later after your investments paid off. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think because that's an important thing that, you know, sometimes I forget when we're talking. Um, I mean, this is not, I mean, you know, we, we've talked to the uh, leadership in the co-ops here in Missouri. I mean, they're not, they're not necessarily opposed to this. I mean, I think they just, I think the more they understand about it, the more they kind of understand that it's not a completely antagonistic position. Um, and it is something that I think would do them some good in reaching some of their goals. I mean, they've got to figure out a way to like make some of these transitions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, ultimately, you know, that's, that's something we want to try to impress upon people is like, we're not, I don't see this as like us versus the co-ops. This is us trying to come to an, to kind of reach a consensus with them. That's right. Yeah. You know, the, the senior vice president of communications for the NRECA is on record saying they want adjustable, just and reasonable transition to a zero carbon economy that would deliver affordability and reliability to the communities we serve. That's what we're talking about. And really, it's just a matter of let's get together on the details. I feel like we're we're coming together on the big picture. And I'm, I'm um, op, uh, cautiously optimistic, right? that we could actually do something transformative uh, in the next coming couple months. So, I mean, for people listening to this, um, what are we, what, are, what do you say to uh, one of your supporters or somebody out there in Eastern Kentucky about what can I do to help this? What can we do? What gets this done? What, we, what do you tell them? Well, right now, um, the Rural Power Coalition is asking folks to weigh in, right? To, to put their voice into the, into the conversation. And we just made an appeal last night on our town hall event and, and created a campaign in which we're going to be asking folks to make some selfie videos, talk about why this is important to them and their communities, talk about the changes that they would like to see from these proposals and the impacts that they would hope to see in their communities. And we're going to put those videos together. We're going to be tweeting them and putting them out on social media, trying to tag targeted legislators, maybe even some co-ops. Mm. We're still figuring it out. Um, but we're going to be providing avenues for folks to get involved. We're inviting folks into the conversation. And so you can go to www.ruralpower.us and sign on to our proposals as an individual. And then that will put you in contact with the coalition and the asks and the calls to action that we are putting out. And so sometime by the end of the week, right, we're gonna be putting out that call to action with instructions on how to create that video, how to post it to social, who to tag. Yeah. And if you can, if you wanna get on the website and sign on as an individual, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to make sure you get that email too. Wow. Yeah, we are on Twitter. You can follow us there, Facebook, uh, all, all the social medias, I think. Well, we don't have Instagram yet, but if you oh. go to Twitter or Facebook and search at Rural Power Now, you will find us. The normal ones. We're on the normal ones. I mean, get your recipes on Instagram. Um, no. <laughs> no. No, I love I love Instagram. I'm I, I'm all over the place on that stuff. Um, 
Chris, uh, this has been great. Uh, if there's, any, I mean, since you're on here, and I know we were talking about Rural Power uh, Coalition, but if people want to learn more about your group, let's give you a plug. Can you, you want to plug out your group in case there's anyone from Kentucky listening, Eastern Kentucky? Sure, I'll plug both the Kentucky groups that are part of Rural Power Coalition. Yeah. Uh, because I, I work for the Mountain Association. Um, we're, you know, out there hustling every day to create that post-coal economy that we want, need, and deserve in Eastern Kentucky to create opportunity and, and um, better institutions. And, and, you know, we're not, we're not a grassroots member-based organization. We're a CDFI. And so that's why I'm also a member of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, mm. the grassroots political advocacy organization that's working towards racial justice and economic justice and opportunity in, in Kentucky at large as well. We're 13,000, probably even more members strong. Wow. And so, um, you can get plugged into the conversation in lots of different ways um, through um, institutions like Mountain Association, through grassroots advocacy, um, through Kentuckians for the Commonwealth or any number of orgs. You know, we're also working um, to create uh, a campaign for change in the Public Service Commission, the way that they do business and the way they engage with the public. We're working to get more, more intervention funds to intervene in more rate cases. There's a host of groups across Kentucky that are working in coalition to do that work. And so don't hesitate to find me on mtassociation.org and reach out. You can find my email address. I'll also give it to you here, chris at mtassociation.org. And tell me what you're interested in and I'll try to get you plugged into local, regional or national efforts. You've, um... I'll make a quick plug, plug for myself. You've gotten some good results down there in the last couple of cases, and uh, you've had a very good expert witness with me, James Owen. <laughs> we are very happy um, that James has been a part of our um, intervention team and has provided um, fantastic subject matter expert testimony. And 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 we, you know, that we've learned how critical that is. Um, the, the consensus across Kentucky is that without the work that we did in the last two rate cases, we would have lost net metering in mm -hmm. Kentucky. And we're and we don't, we're not going to keep a one-to-one -one net metering in Kentucky. It doesn't look like it, but we have defended the value proposition and kept the door open for distributed renewables across Kentucky in no small part thanks to James and to Renew Missouri. And we're mm -hmm. thankful. So you need a you need a good. Um, I like to say to myself we're the Aldi's of the expert witnesses. It's like the same stuff you can get at Whole Foods, but it's a little cheaper, but just as good. So uh, if there's any groups out there wanting to hire somebody, that's my pitch. <laughs> it feels a little European. And you're not really sure quite what it is, but it still works. Um, Chris, this has been great. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rural Power Coalition, Mountain Association, you do it all. As, as Howard Stern likes to say, you do it all. You've said it all. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard today, uh, go, yeah, go, seriously, go and um, go and follow uh, Rural Power Coalition on Twitter. 
and on Facebook, um, like us on Facebook, I guess I should say, get involved with it at the website. You know, if you've got groups that might be interested in being a part of this, please let us know. We're looking for more and more people to get engaged. Um, you know, if you're, if you don't want to do that and you still want to listen to more about this podcast, we are on all major uh, platforms, go subscribe, go write a review and go share this on your social media posts on behalf of renew Missouri. This is James Owen for renew gurus. And until next time, Seacrest out. <laughs>